So, this morning I'm going to be speaking from a couple of different texts, but the title of what I'm speaking is, is from Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll get there just now, and the title is An Anchor for Your Soul. An Anchor for Your Soul, or An Anchor in the Storm, either one. So the whole world, if you, if you look at it, even if you're an optimist like myself, okay, any other optimists in the room? Okay, any, any of the optimists believe they're the better type? You know, the pessimist versus the optimist. So we definitely want to be optimists, right? But even the most ardent optimists in the room, if we go and like honestly evaluate the world and where it's going, I don't think any of us are concluding that it's somehow in a more hopeful place. We don't reach that conclusion. We don't reach that it's, it's somehow gravitating toward a, a better space. I think there's a lot of hopelessness around the world, around economies, around all, a whole manner of thing, around society. You know, you hear the older guys say, it just wasn't like this in my day. This is a phrase saying, it's getting worse. It was better back then. Job says it so beautifully like this in Job chapter 8. If you're Afrikaans, that's the book of the Bible called Job. It says it like this in verse 11. Can papyrus, which is a type of reed, grow tall when there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? To which you answer, no. While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. And so what the author is saying is that if you don't give reeds water, they die. If you don't give reeds water, they die. And then he says this, such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. So in other words, just as a reed without water dies, so a man or a woman without hope perishes. A person who turns away from God, a person who forgets God, the hope that they have perishes inside of their hearts. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perish the hope of the godless. And then I love this verse 14 and 15. What they trust in is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. Isn't that a startlingly accurate statement regarding our world today? If we look around at what people are putting their faith in, it's like a spider's web. They try and lean on it. They try and, in the time of trouble, they try and reach for the spider's web, but there's nothing there for them to hold on to. And I don't think there's a generation who's as willingly forgetting, choosing to forget God. It's almost in vogue. It's almost cool to forget God. I saw Quinn, if you remember Quinn and Michelle, who left last year, February or so. He was out for his brother's wedding, and he, they moved to Australia. And he said it's been such a eye-opening experience. And one of the things is just the way that people approach Christianity. And so in his workplace, he's been fairly silent. And recently he's been telling people that he believes in Christ. And they, and they kind of look at him, and they're absolutely uh, shocked. And they're like, but we thought you were intelligent. We thought you were And so it's almost in vogue to forget God. To not know God is, but so perishes the hope of the godless. And so as we've been talking about hope in the last few weeks, we've been speaking, last week we looked at the promises, some of the promises of God. Do you know that there's thousands of promises in the Word of God? Literally thousands of 
of promises. And as Hebrews 6 says, and so many other places in the Bible, it says that the promises of God, you can rely on them because He never lies. God never, ever lies. And then in this beautiful passage in Hebrews 6, which we looked at last week, he, he shows His grace by saying that desiring to convince us even more of this fact. He didn't have to, but He wanted to show us even more convincingly, so He uses a human mechanism and He oaths upon Himself that He doesn't lie. So He doubles up on the idea. And what He's trying to tell you is, I keep my promises. I'm a God who keeps my promises And then here's the beautiful result in Hebrews chapter 6 that I've been referencing. This is what happens when we realize that there's a God who keeps His promises in verse 18. We who have fled for refuge or shelter might have strong encouragement. Are you discouraged this morning? Are you down? Are you feeling hopeless stuff? Like storms rushing in over the boat of your life? Scripture says we can flee for refuge, have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this. We have this as promises as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Why don't you say that phrase with me this morning? Anchor of the soul. Isn't it a beautiful phrase? You, you, Because you have believed the promises of God, you have this hope, this salvation which He's held out in front of you, and He says because of that, you have a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Believers this morning, when we're tempted to look all over the place for other spiders' web, is what He says in Job, when we're looking for hope, don't forget God. God is the one who is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And so I have two very quick goals this morning. Like Sean said, I promised to preach shorter, but I, I must be honest that that's not a certain hope. You can, you can see. Let's see. But I have two goals. We, I've, the first goal is I really want to encourage you in the Lord. We're going to speak about hopelessness, but I want to encourage you as we speak about hopelessness. I don't want to leave us in some hopeless space looking at our belly buttons, examining everything that's wrong with our lives. And then I want to... Just give one really simple, really well-known, practical handle that we can cling to in times of hopelessness. Are you with me? This kind of hope that that Hebrews 6 speaks about is the kind of hope that we can build our lives on. So we haven't touched on a lot of other hopes, but there's even in the Scriptures, you'll see there's a kind of hope which is just wishful thinking, right? I, I I wish that the robot turned green. I wish that this happened or that I won the lottery. Wouldn't that be great if I won the lottery? I saw this week on the news that there was a a woman who won the lottery, but on the way to collect it, she was arrested because she had bought the tickets with a stolen credit card. It's like double whammy. True story. That's justice right there. eh? And then you get another kind of hope, which is an expectant hope. An expectant hope is a farmer lives in this all year round. You plant seeds, you hope, but it's an expectant hope. It's not just a wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is you walk outside your door and you hope there's tomato plants growing and you didn't plant anything. That's wishful thinking. An expectant hope is the kind of hope that, that plants and then waits in expectation, but it's still not guaranteed. 
It's still not something you can bank on. And then what we've been spending our time in the last few weeks is this certain hope that the promises of God are certain and we can, we can take it to the bank. We can hold on to it with everything in us. There's no shred of spider web in the certain hopes of God. This is the kind of hope we can build our lives on. And so let's, let's talk about this little phrase in Hebrews 6, the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And let's just think for a minute, what a purpose, what, what is the purpose of an anchor? There's two primary purposes. The one is to stop you drifting. Any fisherman would know this. If you, if you find a good fishing spot, you throw your anchor down quickly so that you don't drift off your fishing spot. And so one of the things that God anchors us in is that from the drift of life, from a drift away from God, from a drift away from purpose or whatever it may be that we're so tempted to drift away from. And then the other, which is where I'm going to focus a little bit more attention this morning, is that an anchor keeps a ship stable in a storm. Do you know the biggest anchor in the world? 75 tons. 75 tons. Go and Google it. Have a look at it. It's unbelievable. People standing next to it. There's a guy walking through the chains, and he's just like dwarfed by the size. The one link is like as big as this man. It's just... But this, when, when this scripture was written, they're not talking about super tankers. They're talking about guys fishing in Galilee and on, on boats and whatnot. And anchors were used. When a storm came up, you'd throw it down, and it would, it would keep your boat facing the right direction. So as the waves were coming, if your boat is turned sideways into the waves, you're done. It's going to roll you. It's going to go over you, the waves. And so this anchor would keep you straight. And so the, the, obvious, uh, the obvious metaphor that the, that the author wants us to think of when he speaks about an anchor for our soul is that God in our times of storm, in our times of trial, in our times of hopelessness will keep us, will sustain us, will hold us. Does that make sense? I know it's rainy, but you know, you know I like a little bit of response, eh? I think somewhere in me is this Pentecostal, like, hallelujah, amen, you know, like, one day, Lord, let me lead one of those churches. Everyone's just like, yeah! That would be encouraging, eh? And so intuitively, I think in, in every one of us, intuitively, we know that we need an anchor. It's not just a spiritual concept. All of us, in some way or another, are, are throwing out, if you don't know Christ, you're throwing out efforts at anchoring yourself, whether it's in a relationship or a person or in finances or in, in some kind of way or, or shape. You, you're trying to anchor your life. And that, that, as we feel pain, as we feel fear, as we feel hopelessness, we reach out for hope. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that people do that. Ah. I had the privilege of going out with our red frogs. Where's, where's our red frogs? Guys, won't you just stand up, our red froggers? Just get up on your feet. And just applaud these guys and girls. These guys are amazing. Absolutely amazing. Last week, I don't know how many hours of sleep they got. Not many. I can tell you that. And Fenster's on Friday night. So red frogs go out and they make pancakes and they care for people who are extremely, extremely drunk. And I went out with them on Friday night, and I got first-hand experience of taking one of these young women home, and, and I have uh, stuff in my car to prove it, uh, which I can show you afterwards. And it's, it's, sorry, too much detail. But these guys, it's, these guys are going out there, and you watch hundreds, maybe thousands of people looking for something, trying to fit in, trying to be part of a crowd, and they drink themselves into a a coma, and I left it off past 12 because I had to get up with the kids. 
I don't know what was going on at 3, 4 in the morning when these guys were still there. So people reach out to a bottle for hope and maybe down the line that turns into alcoholism or maybe it's an affair or something like that. But then it's even the more respectable thing. It doesn't have to be some grand sin that you're reaching out just to stabilize your life or to... It's, it can be the holiday in December and we're just holding on to that for dear life or entertainment. Or, there's a million things you could think of, Right? I think maybe one of the most common ones is looking to somebody else. Turn to my husband and hope that he is going to secure me for the future, or my wife. Or we, we just go almost everywhere before we go to God. But real hope, God, God hope, as we spoke about last week, a faith that leads to hope. Faith always leads to hope. Is found in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where we ended last week, if you weren't here. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and as our faith grows, it leads to this certain hope. And this is the only steadfast anchor, one hope. I like that name. It wasn't the one I chose, incidentally. It was second on my list, so well done, you who voted me down. (laughs) We're more Baptist than we believe. So this hope is the only safety from drift, the only refuge in in storms. It's the only thing that, as Job says, such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perish the hope of the godless. It's the hope in God that keeps our hope alive. So I want to do just two things this morning. I want to ask us what makes us experience hopelessness. And I'm going to turn this on to you. So you guys are going to do that for a few minutes this morning, just in Small groups, we're going to just talk about experiences in our lives or experiences we've seen other people go through that makes them hopeless. Yes, Lord, we're listening. Speak your no worries, Gracie. And then I want to, I want to just look very practically and very quickly at an excerpt of Scripture which is so familiar to you, you're going to be able to say it in your sleep. And I want to show you why this is an anchor for us. So can we do that? Just take a few minutes, turn to people around you and talk about situations you've been in, situations you've seen others going through around hopelessness. Go for it. All right, so the the reason for that exercise for the cynics among you is not because I didn't have enough time to prepare. I did. It's because we want to think. I want us to be a church that thinks, that engages our mind and not just sit and listen week after week. So you'll see from time to time we do that kind of thing. Just turn around. So what, what, were, some of the, what were some of the big ones that came out? Anyone want to shout some of your group's main, main themes or main thoughts? Zimbabwe. Great. How many Zimbabweans in the room today? <laughs> Tom starts the clap. Yeah, we have a strong Zimbabwean contingent. Most certainly. Um, hey, this is just spontaneous, but Mark, why, won't you come and just tell me that story you told me when we were driving in the car this week? Would you do that? Sorry to put you on the spot, but I know you're a fairly confident young man, so you... It was you, eh? <laughs> no, no, I got you up here. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Um, so everyone knows that Zim's going through a bit of struggle and some rough stuff over there. And we've been having some cry- crazy like riots and stuff. So what happened is 
Um, we got these massive fuel shortages. The government's taking the fuel, selling it in Zambia, and then making, getting US dollars, bringing it back into the country, trading it at three to one, so making like three times their money on the thing. Um, and so everyone was like so grumpy, and you now there's no fuel, and people are queuing, queuing, queuing to get fuel. Then they made the fuel price 50 rand for one liter of fuel. Mm. And so guys have been waiting in these queues, these queues, <laughs> these long, long queues, and then they just like, enough. So they started like rioting, burning cars, like just bashing everything. Um, but it's been so incredible being in the church there, because everyone's like, yo, I'm just so excited to see what God's going to do with this place. Um, and so yeah, I'm not too sure, should I share some more? 24-hour prayers. Ah, yes. So now in our church, or in all the churches together, um, we've got these prayer rooms where people are praying 24 hours a day. Or well, not one person, but you know, you come in for your hour shift, you swap out, and people are meeting together, praying. Because, yeah, when you hit rock bottom, there's nothing else you can do but go to God. Um, and everyone there is slowly starting to turn towards God, and it's so, so exciting to see that. Yeah, oh, awesome. Come on, let's give them a hand. Spontaneous. I think the phrase Mark uh, used with me was uh, something, something along the lines of the guys are saying that they, this is an opportunity for faith for them. Their, their buying power has been reduced, I think it's to a quarter of what it was before this crisis. So the same amount of money you can get a quarter of what you could a month or two ago. And um, Mark's thing was just around an opportunity for faith. That's how the church is seeing it. And that's, that's beautiful. So I've promised you a tool, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but I just want to speak through some of the things that, that were popping up um, in my head this week as I was thinking about this, and hopefully this resonates with what you were speaking about in your group. I think one of the, one of the primary causes of hopelessness in the world is feeling alone or abandoned or isolated. So I would put this under the big banner of relationships. I know that's a very, a very broad um, term. But I, this week I was reading on the BBC, it was one of my favorite websites, and I read a fascinating, fascinating study about a, a crime wave in Japan. But here's the odd thing about this crime wave. It's being, it's, it's being done by pensioners. Seriously, by pensioners. So here's the statistics. In 1997, one in 20 crimes were committed by people over the age of 65. Okay, one in 20. Today, one in five crimes in Japan are committed by people over the age of 65. And so there's like this study going on to try and figure out what in the world is going on. Like there's just suddenly like, like they didn't have a rebellion and now they're like just rebellious like 65-year-olds or like what's happening? And this is one of the, this is one of the, I'm actually reading it from the study. Ultimately, the relationship among people has changed. People have become more isolated. They don't find a place to be in this society. They cannot put up with their loneliness. And so they are genuinely committing petty crimes, which you get about two years for in Japan. You steal something out of a shop, you get two years in order to go to prison so they can be with people. There's also economic drivers behind it. That's the other side of the study. But they, they, they think the primary driver is these people are abandoned and isolated and alone, and they would rather be in prison with some people than on their own. Isn't that phenomenal? And then they're finding that these guys and girls, loads of women, are reoffending. 
just, they come out of prison. The one guy, the one story is the guy takes a bicycle. He goes straight to the police station and says, I stole this bicycle. He gets two years in prison. They put him out. He goes into the park and he says, I've got a knife. He's not going to ever stab anybody. He says, I've got a knife. So the police come running, put him in prison for five years. He's, he's happy as Larry. It's a crazy, crazy situation. The other thing that's going up in exactly the same in exactly the same levels is suicide among the elderly in Japan. It's the same thing, isolated, alone. And, and so for us, that could, be, that could be so many different things in our context. It, it might be that we don't have a healthy relationship with our mom and dad. We don't feel like we can talk to them anymore. Or maybe you're a parent and you don't feel like you can talk to your kids. Or they don't want you in their life. Or maybe it's hopelessness that comes from not being able to have children of your own. Any of these things can, can create it. Broken, broken friendships, a friendship that you start, thought would stand the test of time, and something happens and the friendship is, is split. Obviously, a massively prevalent one in our society right now is divorce and the hopelessness that that can bring, especially in, in children, but not exclusively to kids, the people who are being divorced, that sense of hopelessness and all of that. So this, this idea of being alone or abandoned, and then we have to turn and say, well, where, what do I cling to? What is the sure and steadfast anchor of my soul when I'm facing hopelessness around some relational aspect or feeling alone or feeling abandoned or feeling isolated? So this is where I want to, and we could do this with so many texts in the Word of God, but I've chosen this morning to look at the Lord's Prayer as a powerful medicine or antidote to hopelessness. In our lives. And we're going to go through it and just look at how so many of these things which spark hopelessness in us are answered or found. The answer is found in the Lord's Prayer. And it's so beautiful because it's so familiar, right? I know if you grew up in South Africa, you know the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up somewhere else, I don't know if you guys, you Americans, group over there, did you guys learn the Lord's Prayer in school? Cody, yeah? Not in school, just from good parenting. Okay. So, so say the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is actually out of Matthew 6, right? So we say it in school, but it's, it's Matthew 6. It's Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And so let's dive in, and I want, I want you to see this as a very powerful, always with you tool when you're facing hopelessness. We pray like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. And then we stop. And we think about what does that mean? When you're feeling alone and you're feeling isolated and you're feeling abandoned and you pray, Our Father. Now, the, the, the beautiful thing about this use of this word in this text is that the word Father has been used throughout the Old Testament, but it's always been in a generic sense. It's like Father to Israel. Father of a nation. So God is referred to like that. But this is the first time when Jesus says this, it would have been like a <gasps> moment for the disciples. He personally calls the Father, my Father, our, our Father. And so the Old Testament refers as, as, as Israel, but this is not just a, a, a nation Father. This is you mine, my, my Father. And this, so just a personal insight. This for me is... Using this framework is actually my personal favorite way to pray. I love praying like this. You just start off with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can spend half an hour just praising and thanking God for this one aspect of who He is. 
I don't want to get stuck on it. I just wanted to share it with you. But there's other, there's other verses. You think about where this, where, where, some of the stuff we see early on in Deuteronomy, one of the first books of the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, he will, not, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Whatever you're going through this morning, He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Or my, One of my personal favorites, Psalm 68. He is a father to the fatherless. Young man that stood up this morning, I don't know what your name is, and said, you don't have a father. God is your father. And he's better than any earthly dad. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. It's not the most beautiful phrase. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing. See, the real question of Christianity, the real question becomes, do you believe what God says? That ultimately is the huge question that you've got to answer. Do you believe what God says? Because he's not silent. He speaks over and over again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And maybe another leading cause of hopelessness in your life is, is death or disease. It could be someone that you love dearly. That's passed on. It could be facing your own death that leads to hopelessness. The prospect of your own death. It could be facing uh, someone that you love being diagnosed with something or being diagnosed with it yourself. And this section of the Lord's Prayer is always so startling for me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That little phrase, when we spend time praying, your will be done. Lord, I don't know why this has happened. Lord, I don't know why this diagnosis has been given. But what I do know is that you are a good father. When that is settled, I can trust you. I know you have good for me because I love you. Then we can pray with assurance, your will be done. I don't get it. I don't see the whole picture, but I know that your will over my life is good. And so we, and, and honestly, guys, when we pray this, I mean, let's be real, right? We don't go in there and like, your will be done. This is, this is, this is wrestling. This is hard. This is, see you guys there, the reeds, and that incredible testimony you shared with us last year of the wrestling that you guys went through as a family. There's the questions. We ask those questions. We face those doubts. But we come before and we say, God, remind me that you're a good father. Remind me. And then out of that place, we wrestle with it. Your will be done. And sometimes I say those words like, your will be done. It's through gritted teeth. And sometimes he lets his grace flow and the, and the joy bubbles up. And I say, God, your will be done. And he gives me a, a, an understanding and a, and a freedom and a peace that I shouldn't have facing whatever it is we're facing. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, this speaks so powerfully to the issue of hopelessness around injustice in the world. Those who have, those who don't have, the marginalized, or government corruption, or ineptitude. So all the Zimbabweans, can I have an amen? There we go. We've got it on video, especially for your government. So you can see you agree with me. But injustice can lead to great hopelessness. Are we ever going to live in a society that's just, that here he speaks in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Even now, guys, 
This is not only a wait for thing. It's not just something that happens then. This is why we're engaging with Vadana and you guys and other organizations. So the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing from all our different organizations and just drip feeding again reminders of why we want to be involved with them. This is why, because his kingdom is coming now on earth as it is in heaven. We're not going to see all of it, but we can certainly see some of it. And then linked to this so beautifully is give us this day our daily bread. I wonder if this isn't one of the core things around hopelessness. God, I don't think you can sustain me. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks around treasures and the loss of those things and just feeling like the month is always longer than the paycheck. Anybody? Much longer some months. Maybe it's mounting debt inherited debt that makes you feel absolutely hopeless and you just feel like you're going to spin a million plates and you're never, ever, ever going to make it financially. Maybe you're just not wired that well around financial acumen. Seriously, we need to have some grace for each other. Some of us are gifted in this area, some of us are not. But all of us can turn and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Sustain us. Hold us. We know that we, we did a whole thing on this at the beginning of the year, the exegesis side of Matthew, just before this actually. Another one that leads to great hopelessness is bondage in our spiritual lives. Anyone feel hopeless about your inability to conquer that sin? You know, that one, that one that you just keep going around and around that mountain, and you're like, yeah, the last 15 years been struggling with that thing. Yeah, I know that rock, I know that tree, I know that part of the mountain because I've been around here and around here and around here so many times and that, that hopelessness sets in around your own besetting sins. While, while I say that, a guy, Tony, an Australian guy, um, a pastor, was out here years ago and, and him and I were just talking and I was sharing with him about a sin in my life that I just struggle with and he said something to me which has helped me so profoundly so I just want to share it with you. He said, you know, often when you look from above it looks like you're just going round the same mountain again and again. He says, he said, this is what he said to me, and maybe it's going to help you. He said, I think God wants to turn your vision to the side. So instead of looking at it from the top, turn it to the side, and it's actually more like an eagle. And each time that you're going around and around, whereas at the top it just looks like you're going around the same mountain, actually God, in His grace, is busy putting you on like a thermal. And each time you're learning a little bit more, and you're going a little bit higher, and God is graciously growing you. I just thought that was so beautiful. But guilt, I think guilt and remorse and regret are one of the hugest drivers of hopelessness in our life, a lack of hope. Maybe it's your doubt, you know, you don't want to admit it yet because you're in church, but you doubt God and you feel hopeless, right? Anyone brave enough to shout amen? <laughs> Maybe it's striving to earn your salvation. And that, that leads to deep hopelessness in our hearts when we're trying and trying. Because let me tell you, you're not going to get there. I'll just give away the end of the movie right now. You're not going to get there. And so what happens when you don't get there, but you keep on trying and you keep on trying and you keep on trying, it leads to hopelessness. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, Lord. What a beautiful thing, guys. Man. What a beautiful thing that we can come full of flaws, 
full of sin, each and every single one of us, and come to a father, come to a father, say, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Maybe you're on the other side of that equation and you feel like the one who's been sinned against. You're the one who's carrying deep wounds. It might be betrayal of someone that you've loved. It might be abuse. These are not, these are not small issues, but they lead to huge hopelessness. Especially abuse in children it leads to massive, massive hopelessness. But Scripture teaches us that we can say, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors, as we forgive others. Then it ends with, lead us not into temptation. God knows how we need to pray that. But deliver us from evil. A couple of weeks ago, Ollie preached this sermon entitled, Two Unbearable Words. And those two words were no hope. When you get a diagnosis on your child and the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's no hope. Or when you have a business crisis and the accountant comes and sits with you and says, I'm sorry, there's no hope. Those are the two unbearable words. When there's no hope, that's the unbearable, those are the unbearable words. And so sometimes it feels to us like evil is prevailing. It feels like we look at the world and we feel hopeless because we're like, God, evil is winning. It's winning. I'm looking around me and evil is winning, God. Where is your kingdom? What, you said you're going, to, you're going to break in and everything's going to be different, but it looks the same. In fact, it looks worse some days. Where's your kingdom, God? What are you doing? Anyone? Evil is prevailing. The world is getting worse. It looks like defeat. It looks like we're losing. And then Jesus teaches us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And this is not Matthew 6, but I love the reformers added this little bit in at the bottom. You'll all know this bit. For thine is the the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The story is not done. The story is not over. Evil will not prevail. And we can pray even into our own lives where, where evil is breaking in in our own lives. We say, God, deliver us. Deliver us from temptation and deliver us from evil. And then let's finish off outside of the Lord's Prayer. We'll go to Hebrews chapter 10. But the ultimate hopelessness, as we started off right in the beginning in Job chapter 8, is being far from God. Separation from God is a hopelessness that many people don't feel, but it's the greatest hopelessness of all. And Hebrews 10 Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That's the miracle. Let us Draw near. Those who are far from God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Not because you can do it. Come on. Get up, boy. You can do it. You can try harder. 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And that's where I started out again this morning, pointing to the promises of God. Everything about what we believe about God changes it, changes everything. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion. I think we're going to sing one more song. Burn am I right? We're going to sing a, thank you, a beautiful closing benediction. (laughs) I really want you to get this morning what I'm trying to do by showing you the scripture. We could have gone to so many other scriptures. I went to one that I think so beautifully helps us in our hopelessness because it's also just so well known. Something, this is a tool that each and every one of us, as we're facing in our lives, we're facing temptation, we can use this. We can actually use this. It's something we can hold on to. So, Father, this morning, would you take these bumbling words and these thoughts and these ideas that I've tried to convey, and would you come by the grace of your Spirit and push them into our hearts so deeply that they actually take root and that they, they dwell in us a certain hope of glory, a certain hope that you're going to win. That our sin's not going to, it's not going to disqualify us. That you've washed us clean. That our hopelessness is not something you can't deal with. Lord, right now, I didn't even get to this, Lord, but right now there's so many people struggling with things they don't even share with those around them, Lord. Issues of hopelessness in their lives. Issues of sin. Issues of financial things where they feel completely trapped and alone and hopeless, God. Issues of relationships. Sovereign God, you who know us, come and speak to us. Come and encourage us this morning. Come and love on us, your children. Come and show us again the greatness of your kingdom, the eternity of your kingdom. Not just a little moment in time, but thousands and thousands and thousands of years that you've been pulling the threads together. Come and anchor us in that story. Come and anchor us in what you're doing as your kingdom advances, even though we can't always see it with our eyes. Holy Spirit, throughout this day, I want to ask that you minister your grace to those who feel so hopeless that they don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. For those who feel like they have no earthly threads to cling on to, Lord, No way of pulling themselves up or out. No will to do it. No desire. I ask, Lord, that in your mercy and your grace and your kindness, you come alongside them even now. Holy Spirit, right now, begin to touch. Begin to touch, Lord where there's been dark clouds and not a ray of light for for months or weeks or in some cases even years, Lord. God, would you part the clouds? Would you part the clouds and show them hope? Show them the hope that we have in you, not some earthly failing spider web. Enduring, certain, secured, in the promises of a loving Father.